every generation. They, in Jeremiah's day, they had allowed this, this future that was promised to them because of how they viewed the next generation. They had let that future kind of slip through their fingers. It, you can imagine how heartbreaking it must have been for Jeremiah because he understood the desire and, and he understood the, of God and for God and the promises of God. And Jeremiah knew the Lord's purpose for these young people just like maybe we do. And they were supposed to even be a testimony in the earth at that time. And I've been kind of looking around recently with having 1,049 kids in the school where I'm an administrator and 2,400 kids in our district and so many superintendents that are very quickly just saying, okay, we'll do it. You know what I'm talking about, maybe. And there's still Christians alive and well. I carry God with me everywhere. I've been looking, I've been pondering to all these young people in this young generation and how they've become spiritually starved. And, and maybe not even any, uh, not, all, not all fault to their own. It's generation after generation where we've dropped the ball and how closely our society resembles what broke Jeremiah's heart in his day. And I can see these thousands of young people every day. And maybe you're not exposed to a thousand, but you see them. You see them. You see your kids. You see your grandchildren. You see the athletic events, the sporting events. We've left them confused. And back in the day with Moses, they would just, they would just toss all the young little baby boys in the river. And I feel like that's what we're doing to our young people. We're just tossing them in a the river of confusion. And just... We have taught them and we have raised them to believe that there really isn't a God. They're surrounded by a society that attempts to take, basically just take everything away or make light of everything that has anything to do with a testimony of Christ. And it's all happening because we, the people of God, the church, took His word and we have dealt, I have dealt very casually with it. And I've had urgencies in my life that have built up at certain moments but then I just kind of, kind of, it diminishes eventually. Every time it seems like. And we allow sin to prosper even in the midst of the church. Sin prospers in the midst of the church. And obviously that would consequently bring upon weakness in the church of Jesus Christ. It brings weakness into the church of new hope, sin does. So we, we have turned inward. We've begin, we have begun living for ourselves. And, you know, we come to the house of God. But if you look around in America, coming to the house of God, going to church, and you look at all these mega churches that have sprung up overnight has really become about, about getting a better career and developing a, a nicer personality and having three-point PowerPoint messages and you can put your feet up and can have a coffee and we want to make it comfortable for you and you can take notes and put your glasses on and there's a time for that but this is what we've done all over america and how we need to learn how to advance in society that's not what the church is for and we do all this and while we're doing this we neglect the fact that another generation was coming in after us we forget about younger generations we began to lose the burden for our young kids and even for the Lord. And we find ourselves 
really at risk, like in 2 Kings 20, and you can turn there in just a moment, about Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a king who had known the presence of God, who had known the power of God. Yet when he received a word from the Lord that that a day was soon coming when all he had, including his own sons, his next generation, should be taken from him and carried away to Babylon, you can look in 2 Kings 20.19. This is how he responded. Good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. And he said, Is it not good if peace and truth be in my days? So in other words, he was basically saying, as long as none of this happens in my time, we're good. He wasn't really thinking about the generation or even his own kids coming behind him. I hope that never gets into our hearts. Throwing our hands up. Because we see what's going on and we see everything that's coming down the pike and how once you open the door to one thing, the floodgates are just open. And look out, America, because it's coming. And soon it's going, we're not persecuted, but it's going, in America, the persecution is, it's a lot of verbal. It's a lot of being kind of relegated to the outer fringes of, you're a hater, you're a hate monger, you're trying to tell me how I can live my life. And it's all motivated in love, and you need to be careful with how We really do need to be careful with how we represent the Lord Jesus, but also stand for truth and not compromise our beliefs, but be truthful, but do it in love like the Word says. It's really hard, and God's been showing me, sometimes I'll say something on social media and then I'll erase it. I'm like, why did I even put it up there? Because there is frustration, there is sadness, there is a, a holy anger. There is, but they don't get it, they don't know. They're spiritually starved, but they're also, they're very hungry for some definition of real Christianity. And when we start to pray, and we are still, by the grace of God right now, in a season of hope. We are in a season of miracles where they can still happen. We are in a season right now of mercy. Still, right now. So it would be very tragic if it would be all we're trying to do is kind of ride out this coming storm that is inevitably on the horizon, completely unconcerned about those who are coming after us. So as you kind of look around at our society, we see this hollowness in our young people. It's just kind of hollow. There's not a whole lot of depth anywhere. There's not a whole lot of understanding anywhere. There are young people in this church right now, right now, listening to my voice live right now, that have views that completely contradict the Word of God. And maybe you do too. Because we want to be tolerant and inclusive. Being a Christian is not about that. And, and I'm, I'm telling you right now, this young generation needs help, it needs guidance, and it needs the Word, and it needs to know that the Bible is the only standard, is the only truth. Because we, we've, been to kids at the, we've been to kids at the altar with them, confused. And I'm not talking about kids that come in visiting. I'm talking about kids that have been in the church for five, six, seven years. Confused about homosexuality and transgenderism and all these things. 
But this is what it says. Yeah, but I still don't know. So we don't, we're not, they're not seeing this as an infallible truth. This is the confusion that we have caused, that we have created by letting all kinds of stuff in, and now it's just whatever goes. And I'm, a, I'm smart. I can figure this out on my own. I'm an intellect. You know where wisdom comes from? You know what it starts with? What's the beginning of wisdom? We don't fear God. We don't fear God. We don't fear that one day he's going to crack the sky and he's going to have the final say in where you spend eternity. And we're just going to cling to our beliefs because of what we believe. And it's nothing about what we believe. It's about this and if you believe this or not. By faith, through grace, it is a gift of God, lest any man or woman should boast. Salvation is beautiful. It has nothing to do with me and thank God because it, would, it wouldn't happen. We would be hopeless. So all these young people have been left to wander the streets searching for scraps. uh, Scraps of reality and meaning to guide them into the future, fearing the Lord and honoring and loving and serving Him. Many are venting their anger through protests because it's not fair and we want equality for everybody. But this they're confused. This isn't a slam to the generation. This is our fault. We've stopped praying and we've left the closet and we've stopped standing up for the Lord. And we too are lazy. We too watch TV and flip through Netflix and lay out on the back deck because it's easier. And when the storm comes, we're not going to be ready. Today is a warning to go get ready. Prepare yourself. Don't stock up. Just pray. Pray. Win those secret battles, church. So many of these young people are venting through protests and they're attempting to to grasp a, a just society that they'll never find apart from Christ. They'll never find it. And the irony of all of it is that we, I mean, if we hadn't denied our children the truth, then they wouldn't, they'd be on their knees in the streets. They'd be praying. Because they do, they do desire something different, something real, but they're not finding it. And they would know where the true power of God really is. I would start to take notice if I started to see people in here delivered, delivered fully from the power and the grip and the bondage of sin in their lives. And I'm not just talking, and I am talking about, but not just talking about things that are obvious, like cursing and your attitude and how you treat people and pornography and alcohol and drugs and tobacco we always talk about those things but i'm talking even in more depth bitterness and resentment and hatred and unforgiveness in our heart condition the the most most amazing miracle is what god has done with my heart do you agree with that i don't know how he did it i just surrendered to it But when someone rises up, the Bible tells us of another time when people, you can go to Exodus 1, when people of God were being afflicted and their children were were seemingly in the grip of the enemy at that time. And in Exodus uh, 1, 15 and 16 says, The king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives and said, 
When do you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools? If it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. So eventually Pharaoh went to charge all of his people what this says. Every son, Exodus one twenty two, Every son that is born shall you cast into the river, and every daughter you shall stay alive. So the Israelite children were being cast into the river. This is really, like I said earlier, a physical picture of what is happening in our generation as young people are just being cast into a river of frustration and confusion in our society. If not for yourself, do it for somebody that's coming after you. Do it for your son. Do it for your grandchildren. Because if the Lord tarries, then we might say, you know, he's coming back tonight. Nobody knows if it's going to be tonight, five years, ten, or twenty. But I know, you know, I heard Bruce say, I never thought I'd see it. But he's, I think maybe I will now. You can see what's happening in the world. You can see. And we're not supposed to be caught off guard. I think it's Luke, Luke 12, 55 and 57. It talks about when it's going to storm, the leaves turn, the wind blows, it gets darker, the temperature drops. And then he says, how, how can you not see the times that we're living in? I'm giving you these signs just like a storm is coming. And we're supposed to, as Christians, it's not supposed to be secretive and hidden. We should be able to discern the signs of the times and say, something's up. Something's coming. And it's going to come like a thief in the night and it's going to catch us off guard if we're not being sober and vigilant and watching. If you are dabbling in something, I pray by the mercy of God, I'm going to pray for you. But it will take you to hell. God is refining His church. Because he can't come back for a bribe with spot, wrinkle, and blemish. He can't. The gospel is meant, if you're sitting truly where true love is, you should not feel condemned. You should not feel condemned. You should not have an attitude if it's true love. My wife and I talk about this all the time. How can the word of God offend me if... I'm a believer, and I believe in the word of God and truth. The word of God is a rock of offense to those who don't believe. Not to me. I let it correct me. I let it search me and know me. I allow that. If I'm living with someone outside of marriage, I let the Bible correct and reprove. It's in love, and it's done tenderly. I'm telling you, these are decisions that God will honor, and that you will look back and think, all I did was I was obedient, and God blessed it, because He has to bless obedience. It's a little painful, but I'm telling you that God will honor it, and He will prosper, and things will flourish. And his hand will be upon you for strong demonstration in your generation. Eventually, Pharaoh just said, cast him into the river. Everything at that time appeared hopeless as if the enemy had completely taken hold of the next generation. Killed them all. 
throw them into the river. But the time finally came when one of God's people rose up in that generation, Exodus 2, 1 through 3. And a man of the house of Levi went and took a wife, a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch and put the child in it and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. So this young woman defied everything that was coming against her and her house and she cast her child upon the mercy of God at that moment. And once in a while throughout history, someone rises up and declares these types of things where they will defy the works of the enemy in their life, in their marriage, with their children. You aren't getting my children, devil. Maybe it's because I've been a poor example, but no more. And it's not about willpower, it's about my weakness and what the strength of God can do through me. No more, not on my watch. For I know the living God now. Not on my watch. Something has to rise up in someone. Someone. So this woman placed her child in a basket in the river and there was no way she could have known at that moment the fullness of the impact of her choice would make upon her nation. She didn't understand that this child who was Moses would eventually deliver all of his people out of bondage. It's important we have to remember that when the day came for Moses to stand before Pharaoh's throne, we have to understand that he didn't stand there in strength. He wasn't some young, tough, buff dude like, like, like Samson or David or these people back in the day that you can think of in their, their, the prime of their life. He, was, he stood there in weakness. He stood there in an old age. He wasn't carrying a sword or wearing any armor at that time. He had him and his 83-year-old brother Aaron. And he had everything that he needed. He had a staff in his hand and he had confidence in God. Period. And that's all he needed. And he was faced with the mightiest emperor of that time. Moses simply said, I'm not negotiating. I'm not making any deals with you. We're all going. Our young are coming. Moses said, I- I'm, not, I'm not negotiating this. I'm taking everybody. Let my people go. The old people are coming. All of our children are going. Our goats are even going. I'm taking them all. And he did that in the authority of the Lord Jesus. Everything that belongs to the children of God is coming with us, he says. No one is going to be left behind. And he's saying this, not on my watch. Some serious responsibility in that. We are in a season right now of miracles and mercy. At this moment in our lives, we can fully submit and say, you know what? I don't know. And the thinking that I have adopted and possess, I just want to relinquish all that. and I want to give it all to the Lord. I could be wrong. I mean, that's hard to admit for a lot of us. I could be wrong. My opinion might not be accurate. But this has no inaccuracies. We believe it or we don't. And I made a decision when I was 16 that that was it. And there's no turning back. I believe it or I don't. So the same righteous, this, 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 this grit... Gravel in my guts. It's got to rise up in me. 
I have to get a holy anger. I got to get upset about what the enemy is doing with 1,049 kids in the elementary where I'm an administrator. It's, it's a slow fade, is it not? And it's not happened overnight. The enemy has tricked us. Where this godlessness and lawlessness abounds in our nation is being completely devoured like the enemy walks around as a roaring lion. It's been devoured by godlessness at an unbelievable rate. We don't have time for another superstar preacher to rise up. There's no time. There's no time for that. And I thank God for those men and women that have gone before us. I thank God for the older generation in this church that has wisdom. But I'm even asking you, if you are in your 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s, come on, y'all. It's not time to sit back. Wake up because God still can use you too. He can use you to hug a young person, to encourage them, to minister to your families. It's not time to sit back. It's not time for another young person, charismatic person that's just going to draw up millions of people and their church grows to 10,000 overnight and have six services on Sunday and everything is telecasted, podcasted, and live streamed and, and everybody wants that and wants that power, position, prestige, and honor. And God's saying, not anymore. There's no time for that. I need to use the weak things. To bring maybe confusion and frustration and to confound the the, the strong and the mighty. And I need to use these foolish things to confound the wise. That puts now me in the game. I, I qualify for that. Think about the young people. God wants to use the nobodies, the nothings, to press in to the throne of God now. He wants to put a new song in our heart. And when God wanted to do something, even in, the, in biblical times in Scripture, He would often look for people that would be least able to make it happen. So if you think, I have no title, no position, no. perfect! You are perfect! So He wanted to bring this prophet into the nation. He looked for a barren womb. He wants to be able to display and demonstrate His might, His power. The underdog. He looked for a barren womb to bring a prophet into the world. He found Hannah. When he wanted to deliver his people from the hand of the Midianites, he appeared to Gideon, who was the least of his father's house. And of the weakest part of the tribe of Manasseh. And when God wanted to give an incredible promise to a man named Abraham, telling him that he would have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and that the whole world would be blessed through him. He waited until Abraham had no possible way of doing that in his own strength. So now I am fully dependent and reliable on the Lord Jesus. And whatever's going on in your life right now, that's what God's doing. He's stripping you. And it's a good thing. If we could only understand the, the, the fullness that we serve a God who's not looking for the most qualified or those that can come to the throne of God and not with their own strategies, their own plans, but just someone who believes, God, I know you're good and I know your mercy endures forever. 
If you go to Second Chronicles 7, it says he's looking, he's looking for people with hearts of faith, those who believe. You remember after Solomon prayed at the completion of the temple, the Lord appeared to him in 2 Chronicles 7. And we always look at verse what, at 14, but look at the verses before and after. He says, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice when I shut up heaven and there is no rain. Or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. So you can start to see reading these scriptures a little bit of the character of God that he's willing to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. The kingdom of God now is defined by miracles and mercy. The miracle of God changing the human heart. Mercy that he gives to us every day. And every morning it's about dead people living. Think about your young generation, the confusion, the frustration, the aimless wandering about finding hope and purpose and destiny. It's about the powerless obtaining power from God. It's about a new song that God puts in the heart of His people. That many will see it and fear it and begin to trust in the Lord. So the kingdom of God is about men and women becoming all that God has created us to be. Laying a hold of these things that aren't within my natural ability to grab a hold of. Understanding truths which are my natural mind doesn't get. And living in a freedom, a freedom which any amount of natural effort can't bring me to. The kingdom of God is about miracles and mercy. The Lord is willing. He's waiting. He's waiting for ordinary people like us to say, God, I I have discovered something about your heart now. Even for this younger generation that we could be caught up in fret and worry about. What are we leaving them? And to say, I know that you are a God who performs miracles. And I also know that you are merciful. I know that. I know that, Adam. I know that he is merciful. I know that he is merciful. The whole study, with if you haven't been here on Wednesday nights, there was a night all on grace. And what the grace of God is and what it looks like. We don't deserve it. It's unmerited favor. I've experienced the mercy of God. He is merciful. And that's gospel. That's salvation. What He has done for me, He can do for you. That's gospel. So tell God, I'm coming on behalf of the children of this generation. I'm asking, I'm petitioning, I'm requesting for those who have been robbed, maybe because of me, those who have been left blind and wounded in our streets and are fainting and dying for spiritual hunger because we have denied them access to the living God. And we model that. Yet, Lord Jesus, you are still merciful to me in my failure. And I know that you will continue to be merciful to this generation. Because that's your heart. That's your nature, Lord. Take advantage of his mercy. Don't go on living thinking you're right. Making peace with your shortcomings. And your, um, 
your uh, iniquities. It's time to pray. Our opening scripture in Lamentations 2.19 says, Arise, cry out in the night at the beginning of the watches. Pour out your heart like water before the face of the Lord and lift your hands toward Him for the life of your young children who faint from hunger at the end of every street. If not for you, do it for your grandchildren. Do it for your children. And all along that path, God will bring freedom to you as well. I know He will. Jeremiah was really talking to, and, and really appealing to whatever true, at that time, spirituality remained among the people of God in his day. The same word applies to us in this hour. It's time for us to cry out for our children. There is way more at stake than we may realize here. We have kids raising kids all over the place. We have millennials that are raising Generation Z. They are biblically illiterate. They don't know the Bible. They don't agree with most of it. And they're raising our children. The church needs to rise up. The church needs to start praying and confessing sin. Do it in secret. Do it in your prayer closet. But stop sinning. Stop sinning. Stop it. A sinning man stops praying. A praying man stops sinning. Come on! His mercy is now. His mercy is now, church. It's in this moment. God is so good. He is so gracious. He is so merciful and compassionate. Thank you, Lord. And listen. You remember pretty much that in Esther 4.13, remember Mordecai pretty much said to Esther, don't assume that you'll be safe just because you stay at home and try to protect yourself. The only way I'm going to get through is just to shut all the blinds, doors, windows, and curl up and rock back and forth in my basement. Then I'll be safe. Come on. It's time to shine. It's time to shine and know that it's nothing of myself. It's all God. That's the beauty of it. We have a prayer meeting here at New Hope Church every single Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. And I believe it's more important for the future of our city and even of this country than I can express in words to you how important it is to start to make way in your schedule for it. Come back, beloved, come back. Come back. He's calling you. He's calling you. Beloved, can you hear him? Can you hear him starting to, it's like the month of May in school, start to like get lazy, kick back, put your feet up and not work as hard, do homework, classwork. Month of May is when teachers should be turning it up a notch to really engage their kids so you don't lose them, right? That's now at the end of this time we have. Turn it up. Turn up your spiritual walk. Get more engaged. The Bible says, do not forsake yourselves, the assembly gathered together, and even more as you see the day approaching. I know it's hard. There are times when I can't be here. And automatically in our head, oh, where's he at? And we, we start condemning him. Well, if he ain't going, I don't have to go either. 
the Bible says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Is that, if that's your approach and attitude, you have other issues. You understand that? You don't like God. You don't love God. We're not hungry for God. We're not hungry for God. We don't fear God. When we're, when we're able to be here, let's be here. When our schedule allows it, let's be here. And see what God starts to do in our community. I hope God starts to produce a hunger in us. God's been answering prayers here. Praise reports are flooding in with people being healed. Have you been a part of this? Who's been a part of this? Who's been sowing into this and praying for things and you've seen prayers answered? Put your hand up. Put your hand up. And you've seen prayers being answered. I guarantee you every single one of us has a prayer that needs to be answered. Maybe it's not about ourselves, which would be even better. Praise reports are coming in. Addicted people are being set free. Families are being restored. Children who have even been alienated from their parents. I'm praying for a young man right now. I get reports from this lady at my work. I'm just praying, and she's coming back and saying, you won't believe it. And I'm thinking in my head, I kind of do. Because I've been praying for it. And I can rejoice and reap what we sow into. We can't celebrate that which we don't sow into. Children returning home. People being set free from spiritual and pastor physical prisons. We witnessed that all together. So it's evident that the kingdom of God is still about miracles and mercy today. And it's clearly time for us to pray. We may find it encouraging to kind of know that prayer has not always been my strongest point in my life. Has has prayer just always been the greatest, easiest, most part of your life? How's your prayer life? Awesome. Amazing. Always has been. Always will be. I pray three times a day. I rend my garments and fast as well. You kidding me? This is the biggest struggle, isn't it? The biggest struggle. The enemy wants to keep you from that place. Because once you go in there, it's where you receive your strength and your confidence and your conviction and your compassion. And God knows that. And then he empowers you to go out. And the enemy wants to do everything he can to keep you from that. So this is what we have to say and what has to rise up in us. That by God's grace... I'm going to pray. It isn't right that the godless have reign over our children, is it? It isn't right that our schools that are supposed to be places of intellectual discussion and inspiration and where innovation and creativity are encouraged and and fostered. But now we have many cases where some places, uh, most schools are just a place of indoctrination and mockery. It's not right. We have to call, we have, something has to cause us to rise up. I'm not going to sit idly by. I'm not going to let this generation die in its sin. We are all still living in a season of mercy and miracles. And by God's grace, I will not let it go without a fight. We have the power to push back the darkness that is attempting to just completely take over and, and, and plunge into our cities into chaos. And I believe that's what the government's trying to do. They're trying to create anarchy and chaos. There, it's, a, it's a planned agenda. And we have the power as the church. We have the position as the church and our children for a season of incredible mercy right now. 
The Lord has given us this promise in Malachi 4, 5 and 6. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with the curse. And this, these verses encourage me because it might not even be referring to the first coming of Christ, but also the period of time just prior to when he splits the sky again. And during this time, God's going to raise up a cry. He's going to raise up a cry and it'll raise it up from grandmothers and mothers and fathers and pastors and people who are nobodies and have shortcomings. He'll raise a cry up in us, ordinary people who just simply have a heart for God. It's a cry that says in the word that will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. God will turn back the hearts of those who are spiritual fathers and mothers. But first, we must be people of prayer. How many times have we heard this for years in this church? And even more so the past several months and year. We must pray. We must pray. He's calling us. And we've been kicking against that and bucking against that. And then hardship rises up in our lives and we wonder why. Because God is trying to put us in our prayer closet. Whether it's through something he permits that's tragic. Or just a way that he call, is calling us back in. You can go ahead and dim the house lights, if you will. So I, I don't need a plan when I pray. When I pray. We have local people right now that are pastors in the city of Zanesville that are coming against a lot of Scripture, saying you have it all wrong. Sending letters out. You're not... you. Tithing is of the devil. Being baptized is of the devil. Coming to church is of the devil. Taking communion is of the devil. And last night I learned, the last one, now we're not supposed to pray. I just saw it. Just trying to produce a following. When we pray, we don't have to have a plan. The victory won at Calvary is our plan. It is our plan. The power and the mercy of God is our plan. And when we pray, we're, we're, we are testifying and appealing to the faithfulness of God and the words that he spoke through the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 1.12 where he says, I know, I know, I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. In other words, we can be assured that the Lord is able to keep everything that we put into his hands. You're going to put your children into his hands this morning. The next generation. Think about the modeling and the example that we have provided. Trying to just do whatever we can. But today, God, it's, it's, it's your strength and my weakness now. Can we stand? We can believe that our children, our siblings, our parents, our grandchildren. I, I'm hoping that all of you have a belief that none of them will be left behind. Can you believe that? I mean, I hope that's what we're praying for. I hope that's what we're believing for. Because we're placing them into the hands of God.
We're on the edge of something incredible in this nation. But hear, hear the Lord when he, he says that the, the ball is in the court of the church. It really is. We are the church of Jesus Christ. The ball is in our court. So something incredible is going to happen in our nation. Something incredibly dark or something incredibly glorious. Persecution can turn to prosecution. We see it all over the world. Or maybe both. We kind of find ourselves in this critical moment that we must make a choice. Rise up and pray and ask God to forgive us for what we've done, for casually handing the great, handling the great truth of the Word of God and the Bible. And for lack of prayer in, in the house of prayer. We have to ask Him for grace. We have to look away from ourselves to believe for this next generation. The altar call this morning is, is I hope that the Lord can baptize us in just faith. Faith to believe it. Faith to believe that we can make a difference. Faith to believe that it's not too late. Faith to believe that we, our focus needs to now turn on other people. We, we know we have an innumerable amount of issues and problems. We know. We take them before the Lord all the time. Before we know it, we fail so much. We're like, he don't even want to hear from me. He's mad at me. And before we know it, we hadn't prayed in six months, a year, years, weeks, whatever it is. Come on, y'all. We're the church. We have to get this into us. The altar call is going to be a little bit of an upbeat song. But it's kind of a new song. There are going to be some lyrics. But listen, if you care about your kids, come to the altar. If you care about your grandchildren, come. start making your way now. We'll start playing the music in just a minute. Find a place along the altar and just put everything into the hands of the Lord. And ask Him for grace. Ask Him for faith. More than we've ever known in our lifetime as we cry out for our children. We pour our hearts out like water, like the scripture says, before the Lord. And we'll once again witness the miracles and the mercy in our day.